This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson and via Skype all the way out in Omaha. Jacob Padilla is joining me. Jacob, you are back on the podcast. Welcome. I am. I, I figured we better do it this way. It sounds like you're kind of coming down with something and I didn't want to be trapped in a small room with you. So I figured this would be the best for everybody. That's perfectly understandable. It's it's that time of year. It's flurrying. It's going to happen eventually. Might as well uh, give yourself as much time um, with the light of day as possible <laughs> before you have to be like me and be a shut-in with with no light coming in i was actually like keeled over earlier this morning like we don't we don't have to get into it but like i was like in the fetal position for a while jeez man oh so um the perfect time for basketball season to start and for football to be in full swing it's a good uh, here you go that's a good metaphor for the way uh nebraska football feels right now (laughs) yeah Let's talk basketball, though. How about that? <laughs> that's that's fine with me. Um, joining the podcast a little bit later um, is a, a friend of the pod, a friend of mine, Atreya Verma. He's going to preview Nebraska versus Purdue, which is Saturday. But like Jacob said, we're going to talk basketball because the Fred Hoiberg era kind of opened um, Wednesday night at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Nebraska had its lone exhibition um, of the season against Doan College, the Doan Tigers. Nebraska won that game 91 to 63 Jacob Cam Mack tried to kill a dude with a dunk that he wasn't even close to completing uh Charlie Easley threw a fantastic alley-oop that a cola rope uh blundered Gervais Green tried to do this like weird 360 thing in the air and then passed it to Hanif Cheatham who then airballed a three I had a lot of fun watching the team that was my takeaway I had a lot of fun I, you know, there's. It, it'll be interesting to see what all we saw that will um, hold as we move into the the early part of this season. Some of the shooting stuff is is I don't know. Nebraska shot 29% from three, um, so I'm I'm curious if if they'll continue to be a, a a grind to shoot threes because they took a bunch. Um, it was hilarious to me that Fred Hoiberg said. His least favorite shot of the night was a mid-range step-back long two from Deshaun Burke and, quote, pissed him off that it went in. Um, that was that was probably my favorite part of the night. Um, like I said, my takeaway was fun. What was your big takeaway from the evening? Yeah, it's kind of similar. I mean, I my, my big takeaway is just how quickly this team has kind of – um, absorbed what 
Fred Hoiberg wants to do and put it into action out on the court. They're still learning each other. They're still kind of settling in. But we saw a Fred Hoiberg team out there. A lot of threes, like I said, not a lot of mid-range, a lot at the rim, a lot of transition, a lot of ball movement. Um, we saw all that stuff that Fred said, hey, this is what my program's going to look like. And that's what it looked like. Um, it, some things certainly need to get cleaned up. And some of what they did isn't going to directly translate because they did it against an NAIA team. And we still don't really know um, about this uh about how this team will defend against bigger teams and rebound and all that kind of stuff so those question marks are still out there you mentioned like the three-point shooting i think gervais and uh matei kavaz combined one of seven and those are arguably two best shooters on the team i don't think that'll happen too often um but then again i don't know how often you're gonna get three out of four from station burke for example so we'll see how good of a shooting team they really are with the bigger sample size but uh I think just my main takeaway is how much this looks like a Fred Hoberg team and how excited I am to cover this team after kind of the type of basketball that we've seen in the last few years. It's kind of fun to um, rag on people that, that get super excited about overseas trips and how it builds chemistry. Like, I don't think you really need to have good chemistry. Like you, you don't have to like your teammates to play well on a basketball court. You do need um, chemistry on the court though, in a sense of knowing, you know, tendencies of, of your teammates and where guys like to have the ball and where guys like to be past the ball and where guys are going to move on the court. One of the things that was interesting to me, and, and, and it was kind of, um, you know, it was the, the perfect manifestation of the um, the advantages of taking that, that overseas Italy trip was um, some of the, the passing and some of the cutting. Um, Cam Mack, and, and maybe this is just a little bit of, he's just an instinctual passer, but there, there were times where um, Nebraska was making off-ball cuts uh, and those cutters were being found with on-time passes um, that, that you know, it looked like a team that wasn't, you know, what Nebraska is right now, which is a team that was put together on the fly and hadn't, hasn't ever played a real, actual, meaningful basketball game together. Um, but they didn't look like it. They looked like they'd played together, um, at least for a little bit. Uh, there's some things that, um, that still need to get worked out and some kinks that still need to get worked out. But there were some, there were some things, I don't know if you kind of felt this too but there were some some moments where it's like this team um you know it looks like they've put in time together this is the benefit of of going overseas and having that that italy trip did you see that as well yeah um i like you said like sometimes maybe that's overrated but when it's an entirely new team and most of these guys have never heard of each other before i think it is important and i think uh kind of what i used as my lead into my recap and kind of something that I, I focused on was, um, yeah, it's an entirely new team, but the guys that kind of sparked it kind of led the way were the, the two guys that were back. Um, they got to that slow start and then, uh, Thorier, Thorby Arnerson actually checked in and led a nine Oh run and gave him the lead right back. And it immediately found, uh, found his way to the basket on a couple of uh, cuts for, layups and had a nice pass here a couple boards a couple steals or whatever so we uh we kind of saw right away what Hoiberg was talking about when he said that uh Thor actually did kind of fit his system and why he was excited to have him stick around and then Deshaun Burke uh 
looked like a disaster his first two and a half minutes, so much so that Hoiberg had to sit him down uh, uh, at that point and send Kavas in for him. And just so he could catch his breath and kind of uh, settle down, he, he was so excited, so nervous after uh, being off the court for a year and a half. And that was his first chance to get uh, to get to play in front of Husker fans. And he came out, missed his first three shots, a little wild, a couple of turnovers. After he came back in, he didn't miss a shot the rest of the game. Uh, game high, 15 points, made some really nice plays. Again, like I said, three or four from three. So um, it does look like they're fitting together. We'll have to see kind of how the rotations and kind of how the different combinations work together again against real competition. But um, I think that was a good good first step to just get out there and look somewhat together. What surprised you more? Cam Mack flirting with a triple-double. He finished with five points, seven rebounds, eight assists, only had one turnover. Did, did, did his uh, flirting with a triple-double surprise you more? Or did Kevin Cross, with his um, still a little bit of baby fat on the frame, but running the break, and then posting a 10-point, 10 10-rebound 10 double-double. Which surprised you more? Uh, can I say neither? Um, I mean, you, you look at what Mac did in the, the, the scrimmage from what we heard, 17, 6, and 6. Um, this is the guy that put up big stat lines all through junior college, and they've spoken incredibly highly of him. So we, we've seen kind of that he's a guy that is athletic enough to – uh, contribute on the glass and obviously has the vision and a little bit of flair for the dramatic uh, to go for the highlight passes and the ability to execute them as well. Again, only one turnover with those eight assists and they weren't just swing to the open man. Like he was creating some stuff and throwing some absolute dimes. So I, I was not surprised by that. I get even and the, the donkey tried to throw down. He tried to do that in the scrimmage too, where he took off from, way farther than he's capable of making and just ended up like chucking it off the rim. Um, so even that we've seen from him before already. And I'm still kind of wondering what kind of a shooter he was. He is with three from this game, the form. I don't love it. He wasn't a great shooter in junior college, just kind of about average, maybe a little below that. So we'll see how that comes around the scoring efficiency, but I definitely think he's going to be a guy that can, uh, consistently, puts up the, the assist totals, and then also contributes on the glass. As for Cross, I I actually found, I forgot how long the video was, but uh, like a ridiculously long, like 20, 30 minute or whatever, something like that, like highlight tape of him on YouTube from when uh, he committed Nebraska. I looked in. I definitely did not watch the 20 minutes, but <laughs> I, I, I watched some of it and uh, saw he was doing a lot of kind of grab-and-go stuff, he rebound, handling it himself. Um, it's clear that he's got some skill. Uh, it's just a matter of how is he going to be able to match up with Big Ten competition with where he's at right now with his, again, size and stamina level and um, uh, athleticism. So that, to me, is the most interesting question this season. Nebraska started in this game four guards, all of them standing under six foot six. They played two, so so Cross and then Ivan, pronounce his last name for me. Widrago. Widrago, okay. Kevin Cross and Ivan, I'm just going to call him Ivan. And Ivan basically split center minutes. Um, and they were, for the most part, 
if Kavas wasn't on the floor, flanked by four guards uh, the entire evening. Do, do, do you think that can work in the Big Ten? I mean, it's obviously not ideal. Um, the the thing, the number with Mac that surprised me, the or I shouldn't say surprised, but that I thought was um, the most impressive was the seven rebounds, considering he is a smaller guard. I know he's got athleticism, but he is a smaller guard. If he can rebound like that, um, if they can get um, guy, if they can get all of their guards to rebound out of the area and really commit to rebounding, like, do you think that? that the size thing can sort of be mitigated a little bit by the way that they play and how active that they are um, in passing lanes and trying to force turnovers and get out in transition? Or do you think that this is going to be a problem, a major problem, once we get into Big Ten play? Because there's not a ton of size, um, and and their size is incredibly young. Yeah, and that's, I think, the question that we still don't have an answer for. Um, We have not seen them against real competition we heard about how that game went against Wichita State, where they gave up 17 offensive rebounds, including 12 in the second half. Um, and Wichita State is a big team. They've got uh, as big of a front court as Nebraska will see pretty much any team they play this season. So um, that's something that I'm still hesitant about. Uh, we'll see. I, I guess I don't know what kind of front line Riverside is going to throw out there. I know they've got a seven foot one guy that kind of came on second half of last year for them. Uh, seven one, 275 pound uh, center from New Zealand. So that'll certainly be more of a test than what we saw from Doan with six, 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 seven on the front line and about six, five, six, six coming off the bench. They didn't get any bigger than that. Um, and so I was kind of disappointed when I heard back, um, earlier in the fall that uh, their 6'10 center, Trace Tupper, um, from Lincoln Northeast, was going to be out for the season with a torn ACL. Um, I, I was looking forward to seeing just a guy that big and how Nebraska dealt with it. So a guy like uh, Hanif Cheatham playing the four, whether it's him or uh, Jervé Green, they, those were the kind of the, the guys guarding their bigs that weren't guarding the center. Um, Gervais 210 pounds, which is probably heavier than most of those guys on Doan in the front court. And then, uh, Cheatham six, five. So in, in this particular game, wasn't an issue. They weren't able to score inside on them really outside of a, for a couple of buckets at the beginning. Um, they, uh, we'll see. Cause that was the question, like the starting lineup. We, I think a lot of, even John Rossing put it out, kind of expected, Kavas to be at the four just because he is six eight, and you you have that size because it's just hard to go with six five guards or below one through four. But uh, he just decided to heck go with it and going to start all four of those guards because those it does seem like those four guards are going to drive this team. Um, those are kind of the guys behind it. Like, I, I think Cheatham will be more of a kind of utility guy versus guys like Burke and Mack and Green that I think are going to be kind of more consistently productive from a scoring perspective or in Mack's case, like rebounds, assists, just kind of stuffing a stat sheet. But he's going to be important to them. So do they I, – I guess it will be interesting to see when they play a team with a real front court. Can they get away with that? And if they don't, if they really struggle, if Cheatham can't hold his own there at the four, then – who comes out of that starting lineup out of those four guards. 
it'll be really interesting because you know when when you have a team that plays this small consistently and you're going up against a, a more traditional lineup like one team forces the other to adjust do you, could i mean nebraska could theoretically force big 10 teams to adjust to them and play down to them if they're going to um have this kind of success on the defensive end and forcing turnovers and getting out in transition and running. They forced 17 turnovers. It's pretty good. Um, but but even even when they weren't forcing turnovers, even when they weren't forcing misses, they were running and pushing off of made baskets. Like, is it? do you think that there's a way that they can sort of, or Fred can sort of um, scheme or tinker his way around this lack of size thing to, to maybe force some teams once once we get into Big Ten play and they play some bigger some bigger lineups that, that they can force some teams to play smaller and, and sort of match them personnel for personnel? I think that's the plan. That's that's what uh, Hoiberg and his crew is hoping for, and that's kind of similar thing. Actually, you look up here in Omaha, that's what Creighton did last year and what they're going to have to do this year as well, where they've got six five guys playing the four, but difference is those guys can really shoot. So... Uh, Nebraska, part of this, yeah, they're going to want to run, but you're also going to have to be able to shoot at a pretty decent rate from the three-point line. Otherwise, it's going to be tough to just make the math work considering what you're likely to give up at the rim and on the offensive glass. And that's Did you of, like... Sorry, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that the other thing too is it, sometimes when you look to get out and run, it's hard to uh, to take care of the glass because you, you either have to make a choice where you're sending five guys to the glass or you're having a couple guys leak out and trying to get the ball up the floor. And you can't – like they're going to try, but you can't always go from a rebound and then push it all the way down the court yourself. And the defense are going to be able to get back against that um, a lot of times. So. It, it'll be curious to see kind of how that math works out all season, but that's the equation that we're going to be dealing with all year and that Hoiberg and his crew are hoping that their guys are going to be good enough to swing that in their favor. Did you like the shot selection in game one? I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with it. Uh, let's see what was, uh, I got the number right here is like 80 some percent of their, is it 59? Yeah, 57 of their 68 shot attempts were either at the rim or from the three-point line, which is almost 84%, and that doesn't even factor in the 24 free throw attempts. Um, you, you look at it just based on where the shots are plotted on the, the shot chart. It's not always 100% accurate, but there's basically that, that Burke uh, step-back jumper that Hoiberg hated was literally the only shot outside of about 12 feet that they took beyond three-point shots. So, and there were only three shots that weren't in the paint. So that, I, that is a, that is what you want for the most part. Now you, you can't really judge off a, um, a shot chart entirely. Like some of, some of the shots kind of wild. Some of the stuff guys, um, again, that Cam Mack trying to dunk from, outside the lane with a guy in his way like maybe that's I, I i admire the ambition but uh that's not exactly a makeable shot but for the most part like i said i think that they're, they're taking hoiberg's coaching well and trying to do 
what he's encouraging them to do. All right, let's play um, a couple games. Deshaun Burke leads the team in scoring this year, yes or no? Whew. I I will say yes. I, I've kind of been struggling with that. I, I think, uh, honestly, I think I've kind of been one of the guys that keeps bringing him up maybe the most because it seems like everything's about the newcomers, about Mac and Green and um, kind of a teaser here, but I'll be writing about that for a preview issue. But um, sometimes it takes a while for junior college guys to adjust. And uh, Burke's a guy that's been in the program for a year. He's kind of been around. He's had two productive years of college basketball already under his belt. Um, he spent all last year practicing against guys like Isaac Copeland and James Palmer Jr. and uh, Glenn Watson Jr. So now he's kind of ready. Um, I I think we'll be it'll end up being pretty balanced between guys like Green and Burke and Mac. But uh, in the end, I think uh, Burke has a pretty good shot of leading them in scoring. Okay, Nebraska had 22 assists on 36 made shots in this game. They had 20 assists in a game only three times last year. This is kind of a question of whether you think that they can they can stick to the game plan and have some stylistic success. How many times do you think that they can do that in a game this season? Break the the 20 assist threshold. Oof. Uh, well, we'll set here. We'll set the over under at eight. I will take the over on eight on. Real quick, I'm kind of just looking at uh, Iowa State, just kind of get a judge of where they were under Hoiberg. But I will take the over on eight because I definitely think that is something that Hoiberg has talked about a lot about that he's really encouraging is, hey, we that, that's how we play. We're going to move the ball. We're going to share it. Um, ball's not going to stick. So I, uh, I – and when you got a guy like Mac that's capable of creating – the high looks that he does, you're going to have a lot of games where, heck, he gets almost halfway there himself, I think. Nebraska won the rebounding battle in this one. I, you, you you have pointed out that Doan is small, so it's probably not a ton to take from that. But Nebraska won the rebounding battle 49-37. to 37. How many games this season do you think they win the rebounding battle? More or less than half? Less than half. Do you think it? Do, do you think it becomes an issue? Like we talked about, how they can try to scheme around. Do you think it'll it'll just it'll become an issue? Uh, I I definitely think it will be an issue. Um, we'll have to see. I think one interesting part will be when um, Shamil Stevenson joins the fold. That's kind of the one question mark that's out there. Um, is, is we got a uh, six man um, rotation. Or six man, uh, we got to kind of look at what the nine man rotation is right now, um, and so now what does it look like when you add Stevenson to that mix? Because you had the the two centers and then Kavas as the only front court players, and then the six other guards. So um, Stevenson might be one of the best rebounders on the team, just between his size and athleticism and length and all those kinds of things. So. Um, I think it'll be half. It'll be an issue against certain teams, but they're just going to have to find a way to make it. Again, it, it's just a matter of math. Can they make enough threes and get enough fast break points to where the the second chance points doesn't kill them? Yes or no, 
Charlie Easley forces his way into the rotation this season and stays there. <laughs> um, okay, so real quick, just going back, it looked like just counting um, three times during Hoiberg's first season in Iowa State, they were 20 above, then six times in year two, and then year three, they were over that mark in like 14 or 15. So um, taking over eight is i think ahead of schedule for what hoiberg built at that iowa state but i think they've got the potential with the players on this team to do it so uh back to charlie easily i okay hold on hold on before we get to easily then hold on before we get to easily yeah so uh, it has been said that cam mack is the kind of point guard that fred hoiberg has not had at the college game do you believe that i guess it depends on kind of how you look at it i think in that with that quote, he's talking specifically about Max speed um, because Hoiberg had some pretty good point guards during his time at, at Iowa State. He had um, DeAndre Kane as a big physical 6'4 guard. Um, that he averaged six assists a game to go with 17 points and seven rebounds. So he's <laughs> nothing at all like Mac in terms of just physicality and size and all those type of things, but he did put up um, did really stuff the stat sheet. Um, he had Monte Morris, who kind of developed into one of the best point guards in the country after he left Iowa State, but was still a good player while he was there. So he's had some very good programs uh, in his program, or very good point guards in his program, but I don't think he's necessarily had a guy like Mac who pushes it as hard as he does, as quickly as he does, and is always looking to find guys, so... Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how Mac grows within this wide open system. Now, now to Charlie Easley, who had six points in six minutes and almost had the best play of the night. Almost. Yeah. I mean, so that, I will say Charlie's thrown that, that lob more than a few times because he played with a call for two summers with OSA. So those guys already have pretty good chemistry, actually all. Uh, Nebraska's local kids, the three walk-ons plus a call, all played together at OSA for a couple of years there. So that that chemistry is already there. That's nice. But I I think it's going to be tough for, like we said, uh, like we were talking about a minute ago, they've got the rotation there. They've already got to add uh, Shamil Stevenson to that mix. And that, that would push them to 10, and that's before you get to a call and then the walk-ons. So it looks like right now Mac's going to play a lot of minutes at the point, and when he's out, uh, Gervais Green is going to handle the point guard duties uh, with uh, maybe Samari Curtis handling a little bit as well. So I, I think Samari Curtis being as good of a shooter as he is right now and with uh, kind of being able to stagger those junior college guys a little bit, uh, you're going you're gonna to play primarily those guys uh, in the games outside of the garbage time. You're raining on my Charlie Easley parade. I'm very excited about this kid. He doesn't look like a freshman. We've talked about this before. He does, or not a freshman. Well, he doesn't look like a freshman either. He doesn't look like a walk-on. We've talked about this before. He he's a he's a he's very confident. It takes it takes uh it takes some balls to throw that kind of a lob in a in a game. I mean, I know it's the end of the game, but like it, it you know, you you got to have a, a little bit of um a little bit of confidence in yourself to throw that kind of a lob because it wasn't just a straight like lob four. It was like he kind of over 
overhand rainbowed it. Yeah, well, and I think as soon as he got the ball and kind of got saw what was happening, he was there was no way he wasn't throwing that lob. Like again, he knows a call. He knows uh, he can go up and get it pretty much anywhere around the rim. So unfortunately, the call wasn't able to hold on to it long enough to get it through the rim. Kind of threw it off the back of the rim. Um, that was unfortunate, but. McCall did get it back later. Got he got his dunk in there and also knocked down a corner three off of a pass from Easley. So he still got that assist there to a call, and that one was worth more points. But uh, yeah, I I'm a big fan of Charlie. He's one of the most competitive, toughest kids that I've covered since I've been kind of covering Nebraska high school basketball, and I'm I'm looking forward to kind of seeing him continue to grow. I just think you got a lot of guys already, and who knows how many blowout games Nebraska is going to be in where you can go deeper in your bench. Maybe in case of an injury, um, one, one of those kind of three guards goes down, then maybe you get, you're going to have to rely on him a little bit more. But if everybody's healthy, you've got nine, 10 guys already. Like a call, like I said, a call himself is going to have a tough time finding minutes. I think this season, just don't play any centers, just play a five guard lineup. Then you can get Charlie easily on the floor. No bigs. All guards, five out, pace and space, drive and kick. That's how you should play. Nobody, nobody cares about rebounding. Well, I think we're going to see about as close to that as we're going to see anywhere at the high major Division One level. But um, I think Can't Hoiberg, wait. I think Hoiberg kind of has to care about the rebounding thing a little bit because he's trying to actually win games, not just be entertaining. Well, he will be entertaining. How many games do you think this is, this will be the last thing that we talk about? How many games do you think they can win this year? Honestly, I I really have That's no my idea. exact I, response whenever somebody asks me this question. Just a long, heavy sigh and exhale. Yeah, I think uh again their their non conference is not very tough at all. Um they'll have a chance to kind of stack up the wins there. So you've got the uh You've got one or two games in the Cayman Islands Classic that should be tough. Um, Washington State is their guaranteed game in that, and they've got a really good player, but they are not. They're one of the worst. I think Matt Norlander rated them as the worst high major team in the country out of the top six leagues. So that's uh, if that that should be a win for Nebraska. <laughs> um, and then you've got a couple other teams that you could see in that league. That, that'll that be tough. So there is potentially one or two losses in that event. Um, Creighton is potentially a loss. They sh- I, I really don't think Georgia Tech's got much. but So I think could end up seeing something like maybe two, three losses in the non-conference if, if things kind of come together. But then once you get in the Big Ten, it's – uh, who knows what it's going to look like? There's some big teams in the Big Ten. There's some experienced teams. Um, I picked. I think they will be able to pick up some wins here because I think there there are some teams that people are high on that in the league that I think Nebraska's got a chance to be better in better than. I picked them. I think ninth as opposed to thirteenth, like the outs, like a lot of the Big Ten media did. But I don't think a lot of Big Ten media have even taken the time to look at what's on Nebraska's roster versus just like, Oh, they've got nothing coming back. So we're going to slot them down there. Um, so th- th- I think a big t- or an NIT bid is probably going to be the goal here. And anything more than that is 
would be a huge success. But I mean, he went. Hoiberg went 500 in his first season at Iowa State after racking up wins against bad teams in non-conference and then falling apart in the in league play. I don't think that'll happen to this team, but it's hard for me to go out there and think this is going to be a 21 team. Jacob, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome, and I hope you feel better. I hope I feel better, too. Uh, I will make you drive to Lincoln next time you are on the podcast. (laughs) All right. I want to welcome in a friend of the podcast, Atreya Verma. Atreya covers Purdue um, on game days for the AP, uh, but somebody should... Somebody should hire him. Atreya, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. It's good. This is the third or fourth time you've been on. We've had you on a couple of times. It's uh it's a fun it's always a fun game. Um it's been a fun game ever since I joined this beat. I think back to Tanner Lee leading a comeback um fourth quarter drive on the road, and I think about how I can't believe that that actually happened. Um this one Nebraska plays Purdue. It's an 11 a.m. kick. Uh, Purdue has not had the season that it expected. Nebraska has not had the season that it expected. Um, I was looking at Bill Conley's S&P predictions, and and I think Nebraska's slightly favored in this one. I think it's at 2.5 right now, and and Conley's S&P projections have Nebraska winning by 1. I don't know that I'm going to pick the Huskers. It's, it's, It's a weird game. Um, my question to you to kind of get this thing off and rolling, Purdue is two and six, Nebraska's four and four. It feels like the sky is falling here. For, for which program is this game more important? Um, I think, uh, I would lean Nebraska, um, for a few reasons. I mean, one, obviously Nebraska still has a chance to be bowl eligible, I know Purdue mathematically technically does, but they have Wisconsin at the end of their schedule and they already have six losses. So unless Purdue is going to go on the road um, and pull off an upset against a a top 10, top 15 team, um, I don't see them um, going to a bowl this year. So I think just in terms of uh, that, obviously Nebraska had higher aspirations. I believe they were picked near the top or at the top um, um, uh, preseason for this side of the Big Ten. So I think in that sense, Nebraska probably uh, wants this game a little bit more, needs it a little bit more. Um, Purdue, um, I could just say the fan base has sort of resigned itself to the fact that this is a lost season with the number of injuries um, just across the board, both sides of the ball. Um, so it, there's, uh, I think we're into the acceptance phase uh, um, of the season where we, it, it's not going as well as we hoped, and we're kind of okay with it. That's a sad place to be in. I, um, I, I think Nebraska fans are getting close to that territory. I think a lot of what I heard after the Indiana loss was a lot of, okay, what's for dinner, which is not really what you want. Um, you, you mentioned right. Purdue's – they technically – have a chance to get to a bowl and you can't really rule anything out. Illinois beat Wisconsin. Um, the Badgers. That's, are fair. That's a good point. That's yeah. A good the, point. the Badgers are ruling, but like what, what is, what does Purdue want to get accomplished over these last four games? Like, what do you expect? Do you expect to see a, a bunch of young guys on the field? Do you expect to see seniors um, fighting hard? Do you expect to see um, 
a team going through the motions. Like, what do you expect to see both Saturday and then over the the last the remaining three games for Purdue? Yeah, no, I think uh, that's a good question because I don't think there's anyone on the team that's checked out in that way. Because sometimes towards the end of the season, when it's a lost season, I've seen that with you know Purdue teams before Jeff Rom got here, where they're sort of just checked out going through the motions. I don't think you'll see that. There's definitely going to be a lot of youth on the field. There already has been. Um, they're playing a, something. Uh, I'll have to check the numbers again, but something like ten freshmen regularly. Um, on both sides of the ball uh, combined. So there's obviously going to be a lot of youth. Um, but I think just if you had to pinpoint one thing for Purdue, it's they want to know if they have a quarterback for the future. I mean, they've been using Jack Plummer, um, a redshirt freshman, uh, a few games into the season, and he probably had his worst performance last week um, against Illinois. Uh, when they lost twenty-four to seven or twenty-four to six in a, in, a, in a mud bowl, basically it was raining all game, um, turnovers everywhere, um, and he was pulled twice in the middle of the game and then reinserted just because Jeff Brown was getting so frustrated with his play, um, just trying to urge him on, trying to find a spark, anything. And so we've seen some good Jack Plummer games um, where he had uh, uh, like threw over forty passes and eighty percent uh, completion. Uh, percentage uh, against Maryland uh, in a big home win, uh, but then we've also seen some really bad um, Jack Plummer games. So basically, these last four se- uh, games, it would be nice to know uh, if Purdue will have a solid foundation at quarterback going forward because the uh, future with Elijah Sindlar is very much up in the air. So um, Jack Plummer separating himself and establishing himself as that quarterback for the future would be um, comforting, at least. You mentioned the Maryland game. Purdue has scored 40 points in a game twice this year. They have won both of those games. So basically you get to 40 points and you got a good chance of winning. Um, the rest of the game's offense has been an adventure. Uh, Purdue is, has been without Rondell Moore. They've kind of turned to David Bell. Um, King Doru, did I pronounce his name correctly? Yeah, yeah King Doru, yeah. He's Doru the... in the backfield. He's, he's yeah. another freshman that they've kind of turned to at running back. They've got, like you said, youth all over the field. Um offensively how important is how important is Rondale Moore um to to these last four games do you think that it's one of those situations where Purdue should should try to get him back on the field do you expect him to play against Nebraska or is it one of those situations where they just need to um kind of recognize that you know hey this is a lost season let's just prioritize his health over everything else I mean He's obviously important to what they want to do, but like, do you expect to see him against Nebraska? Do you think that that he should be rushed back? Sure. Um, well, I don't expect to see him against Nebraska. Uh, Jeff Brown was very noncommittal about it earlier this week, and we'll probably have an update in a few um, hours um, from Jeff for sure, but I don't expect to see him against Nebraska. In terms of um, if we could see him for the rest of the year, if David Bell hadn't emerged um, as fast and as well as he has in the last three or four weeks, I think he's up to third in receiving yards in the, in the big 10. Um, and he was not really a part of the game plan the first few weeks. He's come on really strong for a freshman. Uh, he's got great ball skills um, in the air um, and good size. So he's, um, he's sort of established himself as a worthy replacement. Nobody can replace Rondell Moore, but as much as you can in terms of giving, 
um, the quarterback um, easy throws and making uh, himself a red zone target. So if he hadn't emerged as well as he had, I think there would be more of a pressure to get Rondell back um, because the offense really would be struggling even worse than it is now. Because we've seen that, I don't think they're going to rush him back, um, obviously for health reasons, but also recognizing that um, even if they get him back, um, there isn't much they can do. I mean, because for Purdue, they do have a lot of youth and they have a lot of talented youth. David Bell, you said, um, Rondell, you said King Doru has been um, a welcome surprise. Purdue has basically had a non-existent running game um, all year, and that, a lot of that stems from the offensive line. Um, which is pretty banged up and leaning on a lot of freshmen. Um, but King has um, shown Flash's ability to make some moves in the backfield um, and some decent explosiveness. So I think um, you'll definitely see him out there. Um, I wouldn't count on Rondell, but David Bell will be out there and he will be targeted heavily. I think um, Jack Plummer's first instinct on every third down play is to find David Bell and throw him the ball as quick as possible. I mean, it's worked for a decent portion of this season, so um, he will absolutely be a factor there. Yeah, I mean, if you got a guy like that, it's not a bad, it's not a bad plan to just find him and give him the ball on third down. Absolutely, absolutely, especially when you know you can get him in an open space and he can make people miss uh, any way you can get him. And that that was sort of Jeff's philosophy before Rondell got hurt. It wasn't always we're going to have Rondell run, um, you know, slants and posts uh, down the middle of the field. It's get him the ball on jet sweeps, quick pitches, just whatever you can do to get these playmakers that you have in um, open spaces and let them do their, what they're best at. When you look at this game, Nebraska hasn't been able to stop the run um, in, in conference play the way that they were able to in the non-conference. Purdue, like you said, the running game has, has um, been a non-starter this year. It, do, do you think that – because what Purdue – what Purdue does, it's it's a lot of lateral. It's not a ton of downhill running. And that's what's given right. Nebraska problems. Everybody's running that stretch, um, the stretch zone play against Nebraska to great success over the last however many weeks. Um, do, do you think that Purdue can can find some some success on the ground game against Nebraska? Because like, like one of these things has to break, right? Like Purdue's not a great ground game. Right. Nebraska's not defending the run very well. Purdue has been... Um, able to move the ball um, through the air. Nebraska's been safe for last week, a, a pretty good secondary. Um, Nebraska's offense has been bottled up. Purdue's offense has been bottled up. Like, which one do you expect to kind of break in this game? Um, I think it's possible that Purdue could get um, some traction on the ground. Um, like I said, King's a pretty talented back, especially just for a freshman. Um, and there is definitely that possibility. I wouldn't count... Um, on a huge, um, let's say a huge running game. But the truth is that Jeff Brom's offense doesn't need a huge um, running attack to set up the pass. Um, Even if there's a semblance, even if they're getting three, four yards on the ground on first down, that opens up his playbook um, by almost double, it seems like. So even if that, um, if they're able to get, 80, 90 yards, get it across the 100-yard mark, which would be a milestone pretty much at this rate. Um, I think that'll be enough for Purdue, um, and, and that, that really does open up their offense, gives them a lot more options uh, on second and third down. 
if you had to to list three keys to this game, three things that Purdue has to do to come out with a win, uh, and if those things are not accomplished, then Nebraska takes the win. What would those three things be? Um, I, the first two I'd have to say are on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, um, Purdue has struggled so much with mobile quarterbacks this year, and we all know um, how good Adrian Martinez is um, in terms of improvising and extending plays with his feet. So I know he's a little banged up, but I believe he's going to play this week. Um, so just bottling him up and making sure he's not extending plays um, for too long and picking up sort of moving the chain sort of first downs, um, that would be the first thing. And, and I know I don't know how much of this Nebraska runs. Maybe they run a variation of it, but Purdue has struggled a ton with stopping the RPO. Um, they struggled against Minnesota. They struggled against TCU. Um, it's just been plaguing them all year. So I think uh, obviously stopping uh, Martinez on the ground would be um, uh, the first thing. And then uh, obviously I know Wondell Robinson, um, I believe he's – I know he was injured a few weeks ago, but he played well against Indiana, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, he'll play. Uh, him, him and Adrian yeah, will both he, play. Right. So, so I think um, those two, uh, obviously, keeping him um, uh, on the ground, I, he, he reminds me so much of Rondell just because of how quick he is. Um, and Purdue has struggled um, sometimes in the secondary with open field tackles, um, taking bad angles um, on, on guys that are, are, that are trying to wrap up. So I would definitely look at that as a potential uh, weakness where they have to solidify that if they're uh, if they're gonna have any chance at making sure you know an eight yard um, pass doesn't turn into 30 and sort of breaks open the game so uh, those two definitely stand out to me and then obviously the third one would be um, the QB position I mean Jack Plummer is going to start Jeff Brom said they're not going to go to their backup Aiden O'Connell he said both of them will be ready um, but it's no longer an open competition. Um, he's been sort of toying with this idea that <clears throat> putting uh, labeling it as an open competition would motivate Jack Plummer. Um, that clearly backfired last week. So I think it's Jack's job um, for the moment. So just making sure that he's not turning the ball over, um, not turning, uh, you know, making late throws over the middle, um, which he's done a few times. I think uh, make, keeping those turnovers down um, will be the key to the game. Jack looked—I mean, he looked pretty good against Maryland. Did, I mean, it, he did. It, gut feeling for you? Does it tell you that he is the quarterback of the future? I think so. I think he's shown enough, um, both with his arm against Maryland, but also um, he's not—he—he he can move enough out of the pocket. Um, to be not a running threat, but to like you know capitalize on a third and three and sort of keep the chains moving, that sort of thing, um, when it's really really needed, which is something that Purdue, uh, even as good as Sindelar was, they didn't have that with Elijah. Um, obviously, uh, Sindelar had had two ACLs and he wasn't really that mobile in the first place, but he just sort of refused to scramble when it was even needed. So. Jack's ability to scramble, which um, helps the offense a lot, um, is a big asset that he's proven that he can do, and he and he's got the arm. And it's really about um, honing um, honing on the offense and making sure that he 
knows the playbook well enough to run the entire offense and not just a small portion of it. Um, so I think he's shown enough for uh, for him to keep this job uh, to the end of the year for sure. Okay. Call your shot. What's your score prediction for this one? Um, it is going to be cold. I didn't, no snow or rain. Um, I'm definitely going to expect some scoring on the Purdue's defense. I would say um, 30-24 Nebraska. I don't have a lot of faith in the Purdue defense at the moment. They've struggled all year, and a mobile quarterback like Adrian Martinez is not going to uh, do them any favors. This is one of those games where it's like, which team do you trust, or, or which team are you afraid of less? Or because like right. you can't really you can't really trust either team. Like if this is a forty-eight to forty-five game, which by the way I would absolutely yeah. love because I like scoring and and uh, for the offense to 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 turn a corner that would be uh, make my life easier here. But um, th- this feels like one of those games where. You know, there's going to be a bunch of points to be had. It's going to be a matter of who throws that like crucial pick on, you know, in the fourth quarter or things like that. So it'll it'll be really interesting because, you know, you've talked about Plummer being a guy that's going to make those freshman mistakes, but um, Adrian has made his fair share of mistakes this season as well. So it's interesting to me that that right. you that you go with Nebraska. Nebraska's probably the safer of the two, but they're not really safe um, in any sense of the word. So um, I think we. Uh, right. I think we'll be in store for a, an entertaining game at the least. It might not be a clean game, but it'll be entertaining at the least. For sure. Yeah, no, definitely expecting some scoring. Um, and, you know, it'll be about which defense sort of forces the other quarterback into making a, a mistake that they don't want to at the wrong time. Yeah. Atrey, I'm sure, I'm sure you've got work to do, man. I don't want to take up any more of your time than I need to. Where can people find you and follow you on social media? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, on Twitter at Atreya Verma, A T R E Y A underscore Verma, V E R M A. Um, got all the latest Purdue news wherever you want it uh, on that Twitter feed. Awesome. All right, man. Well, uh, I will see you in West Lafayette, and uh, hopefully we get a good game. Thanks for coming on the pod. Absolutely. Have a good one, man. That's it for this week. As always, make sure you find, follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We will be back next week with a new show. Uh, but until then, keep reading HaleVarsity.com. Follow us on all the social channels. We will have coverage throughout the weekend on, on Nebraska football if you're still reading that. Uh, I hope some of you are. Um, Jacob Padilla will, will have coverage on Nebraska volleyball as well. They have a big one against Penn State uh, midway through. Big Ten play, and, and then next Tuesday, Nebraska basketball tips off for real. Um, it's it's a home game against UC Riverside. It tips off at 8 p.m. at, at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Um, so Jacob Bedillo will have coverage on that. Um, I will be there as well. So uh, things are getting underway. Baseball is getting close. The schedule was just released. Make sure you keep reading HaleVarsity.com. Thanks, guys. We'll be back next week.